0: Hey, this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of Effie Church, and this is our podcast. All right, it is a brand new series today called "Freedom Isn't Free." I'm, I'm very excited about this one. I think I say that every time. I'm always excited about them. I think God has a message for you here that it will set you free if you can get a hold of it. It is really deeply gonna help us. I I will actually not be preaching most of this series. Uh, I'm gonna kick it off today. Aaron Holt will be speaking next week. How many of you remember Evangelist Aaron Holt? He's actually gonna cover two of the weeks while we're out on this next round of sabbatical. I always learn so much from Aaron Holt. Definitely don't miss next week. We have Pastor Isaiah back the, the week after that. And uh, then Jake Curlin, Pastor Jake Curlin from the Philly area who was here in February. Uh, Do you all remember him as well? So many of you wrote me after that week and said how good he was. So definitely don't miss any of the next four weeks of this series. Great lineup of speakers. I'm just asking you, will you show up, support them, right? Uh, Come with open minds, open hearts, open notebooks, ready to take notes ready to really receive. We'll be back in a month, Aaron and I, uh, just to remind you, this is a sabbatical year for us. This is the, the longest stretch of sabbatical that we're taking. Let me just remind you, a sabbatical is a discipline. It, it is taking extra time off every seven years and really saying to God, I know this church isn't mine right? It's, it's not mine as the pastor, it's yours. It's ours. Now I know I don't make it work, God makes it work, and I trust him with it. Believe me, it is difficult on a pastor's heart to leave the thing and the people that you've poured your heart and soul into for 14 years to other people for a month. <laughs> it just is. It's like leaving your kids behind. It's it's difficult, but again, I'm trusting God with it. It is a discipline. I'm trusting that you all will care for each other, right? That, that you will make this place the best that it can be. I know some Christians who would say, you know, well, my pastor isn't gonna be there for the next week, so I'll just skip church for a little while. No, no, please don't. That's me church behavior, right? That's looking at church like, I might not get anything out of it, so I'm not going. Believe me, you will though. Speakers have something for you, believe me. But that's sort of baby Christian behavior, right? To to not show up for you. Christians is Christians who don't yet understand that all of this isn't actually about you. Show up for everyone else. Minister to everyone else. Right? This is your church, not mine. Minister to the people who are walking through the doors. Stay after and talk to somebody. Have coffee with someone after. Make a new friend, right? Church isn't meant to be selfish. We show up and serve our church extra when the pastor is out. Amen? Will you do that for me? Okay, deal. Thank you. (laughs) All right, so I want to kick off this series with sort of the quintessential freedom example in my mind. I just couldn't get any more literal than the example that we're about to read today. But first I wanna tackle a concept that's much more broad. I think to really be able to fully understand the concept of freedom, we must first understand a little bit about the meaning of life. And I know it's a big concept to tackle on a Sunday morning, Candace, but hear me out. There's a lot of places in the Bible where the author Grapples with the meaning of life. I mean, they're deconstructing everything. Deconstruction is this buzzword in the Christian world today, you know, taking apart your faith and dismantling it. There are authors in the Bible that go through that process. They just land at a very different place than our culture is landing at right now. In Ecclesiastes, for example, uh, chapter 12 he says here's the conclusion of the matter the whole book is trying to figure out the meaning of life I don't know if you've ever read through Ecclesiastes but you don't want to take any one verse out of Ecclesiastes and apply it. <laughs> it can get a little dangerous the whole book he's trying to figure out the meaning of life and here is the conclusion he comes to fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Whole conclusion, as he's wrestling with the meaning of life, is to fear God and keep his commandments. Solomon says that life is all about honoring God with our thoughts and lives, and thus keeping his commandments. For one day we will stand before him in judgment. Part of our purpose in life is to fear God and obey him. The wisest man on earth still credited to be the wisest man on earth. King Solomon said that. In Psalm 73, we see Asaph. He talks about how he was tempted to envy the wicked and they seemed to have no cares for anything and they built their fortunes upon the backs of those they took advantage of and they seemed to get away with it. But then he considered their ultimate end. In contrast to what they sought after, he states in verse 25 of Psalm 73, what matters to him. He says, whom have I in heaven, but you. And earth, nothing I desire besides you. And he's looking at the rich and powerful and suddenly concludes all of it's empty. It's meaningless. Who have I in all of heaven and earth, but you God. To Asaph, a relationship with God mattered above all else. And without that relationship, life has no real purpose Even the apostle Paul in the New Testament talked about all he had achieved religiously. Religiously, I mean, he was talking in the world of religion. All that he had achieved before being confronted by the risen Christ. And he concluded that all of it was like a pile of manure. Bible's words, not mine. Pile of manure compared to the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus. In Philippians 3, Paul says that he wants nothing more than to know Christ and be found in him, to have his righteousness and to live by faith in him, even if it meant suffering and dying. And we know that Paul suffered a bit for his relationship with Christ. And Paul's purpose was knowing Christ and having a righteousness obtained through faith in him and living in fellowship with him, even when that brought on suffering, as he writes in 2 Timothy 3. Look, these guys, They had success, a lot of them. It wasn't enough. Some of them had significant wealth. Solomon, significant wealth. It wasn't enough. All the women he wanted, literally, it wasn't enough. Property and health, wealth. It wasn't enough. Look, we see it in our time too. You see celebrity interviews sometimes where they're talking about getting everything they've ever wanted and then what? Right, all they've ever wanted was to be on tour with the band, you know, be famous, and two years into a tour, they're disillusioned and looking for meaning somewhere else. These things that we chase, we think are freedom just not sure we're actually chasing the right things. Look, I started to think about through the Bible what freedom would actually mean. I mean, wouldn't it be in a perfect world, wouldn't that be free? Isn't it evil that constrains us? Adam and Eve had perfection in the garden, right? They had perfection, a world specifically tailored to them, I mean, if running around naked in the Garden of Eden, everything comfortable and accessible, if that's not freedom, what is not having to toil and work for your food? Right, chilling with lions, I imagine they chilled with lions. I would chill with lions if I had the opportunity, enjoying life, enjoying the presence of God. If that's not freedom, what is right? And yet. They still chose evil. Did perfection help them all that much? I I even think back, like the angels. The angels had perfection. They were with God in the very presence of the Father. Satan was an angel who chose to do his own thing, right? Did perfection help them all that much? Or did they eventually think that they knew better than God? I'm just not sure anymore that perfection helps us all that much, that this thing that we're chasing is what we should be chasing. I think we may all be yearning and searching for something that just doesn't do what we think it's gonna do. We think we need certain things to truly feel free, but do we? Oh, if I can just get that that job, right? That promotion, that... Raise at work. If I can just get the right people to give me a shout out on Instagram, if I, if I can just get the right things to fall into place, then I'll be free. won't be constrained by all these issues or relationship. Like the, like the amount of teenagers I hear growing up in, in this beautiful, amazing area to grow up in that hate it. I just want to get out of here. I just wanna move. And this is every area, not just ours. I just wanna move away, all the people around here. It's not the people holding us back. It's not your lack of fortune holding you back. It's, it's we're, we're not seeing the bigger picture. We're not seeing what actually makes us free isn't physical at all. all, right? What if I told you today that you already have everything you need in life right now to be truly free? That if God never did another thing for you, answered any more of your prayers, you would still have enough. Could we complain about the negative things in life, but what if they were actually put there for your good? What if the battles and the storms in life, they were meant for a bigger purpose than you can even imagine right now? C.S. Lewis wrote, there is no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. I mean, there's this war going on, right? And we know this from scripture. We don't war against the flesh, against principalities, against things in the unseen. (sighs) Look, we think that's a bad thing, That we need to rebuke Satan and send him away. And yes, we do. But I'm starting to think the battle, the experience of us battling with good and evil, it's a good thing. You know, I, I read last night a little about Satan. Now he's, he's allowed to roam the earth right now. He's allowed to roam the earth right now by God. God has given him a leash and he is on it, but he's allowed to roam the earth He won't be forever, We're living in a period of time that's supposed to teach us something about evil. It's supposed to, and I think about freedom and what it means to live in freedom while coexisting with evil. I think we have a wrong perception of freedom. I think we're ultimately looking, what we're looking for all the time is perfection, and that's what we think we need. And on this side of heaven, I'm sorry to break it to you, but you're just not going to get it. Not today. Today is not that day. And today's scripture we're going to read is one of the purest examples of how freedom isn't physical. Not for the followers of Jesus anyway. Are you ready to read? Can I show you this today? I got Josh. He's in. Okay. (laughs) Thank you, Josh. (laughs) Acts 16 is where we're going today. Verse 16, one day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, this is Paul writing, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the most high God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in socks. It's a bad day, right? It's a bad day, beaten with wooden rods for giving freedom to a girl who desperately needed it. Both physical and spiritual freedom. her slave drivers had no need of her. She couldn't tell futures anymore, right? For doing a good thing, they were mob, stripped, beaten, prisoned, and stalked. These things happen even to godly men for doing good things. I don't know about you, but if if I'm out there doing God's work, telling the good news and casting out demons and preaching the gospel, and I get beaten, thrown in prison, in the inner dungeon, put in stocks, I have a few things I need to say to God at that point. Anybody else? I'm complaining. God, why would you let this happen? How could you let that, did I do something wrong? I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do. I'm preaching the gospel. Is that not, is that not what you called me to? I would take the wrong conclusion from that and say, this must not be, this must be a sign. God doesn't want me to do this. Maybe not here. Maybe I'm supposed to, right? I mean, wouldn't you? I'm in a dungeon right now. God, how could you? Evangelist Johannes Amritser once was counseling me a bit as I was complaining to him about not getting thrown in prison and beaten, right? And he said to me, bad things are not always bad things. That phrase will forever stick with me. Bad things are not always bad things. This happened to godly men who were doing good godly work. It did not mean they were not supposed to be there. It did not mean they weren't called to this. Bad things are not always bad things. Just as a side note, they're not, they're also not necessarily a sign that you're doing something right. Some, some Christians think that, you know, a tire pops on the way to church on Sunday morning and it's the enemy trying to keep them from church. Like everything that happens wrong is the enemy somehow. <sighs> Sometimes bad things just happen because the world is a flawed place and there was a nail in the road, right? I don't actually think the enemy needs all that much help in this world to throw us off a little bit. I don't. I think we give him a little bit too much credit sometimes. Sometimes it's just the world is a messed up place. And... Besides, Paul and Silas type faith would worship God on the side of the road just as passionately as they would in a church. Doesn't have to keep you from worship that morning, right? But bad things are not always bad things either. We we see these things as points of complaint to God. Uh, But... Maybe we should be seeing them as opportunities. If we had enough vibrancy, we we talk about Freedom Valley being full of vibrant, passionate, selfless disciples, right? Vibrancy sees opportunity in everything. Vibrancy is life-giving. It's not sitting around in the dumps in a dungeon complaining bitterly to God about how unfair this is. It's seeing the opportunity. We have to stop taking the wrong conclusions for this to happen. Because again, I'd be sitting in the dungeon complaining bitterly, God, how could you? But uh, we have so many biblical, godly heroes throughout the world to look at. If they had, if they had taken the wrong conclusions, uh, Jehoshaphat, there's this beautiful story in the Old Testament about Jehoshaphat had three armies marching against him. He knew he couldn't win this battle. Seemed like a really bad thing. <laughs> And instead of being down in the dumps and God, how could you? Why would you? God was setting him up for victory. The three armies marching against him, God wanted to give him peace on every side. So he allowed these armies to march against him. He, he overtook them with praise and worship. I mean, the, the army ended up not even having to lift a finger. God took care of it and God gave them peace on every side. So what Jehoshaphat Could have concluded is three armies marching against me. God is against me. God wanted to give him peace on every side. Bad things are not always bad things. Not in the kingdom. We see Joshua. He had an unbeatable wall in front of him. Right. He knew he couldn't take the city in his own strength, as God had called him to. Seems like a bad thing, but God wanted to give him the city. In the end, it was a good thing. Abraham had to take his son up a mountain to sacrifice him, for goodness sake. He knew it was the word of the Lord, but seems like a really bad thing, right? Bad things are not always bad things. God wanted to give him six more children before the end of his life, and generations after that, he just had to test him first to make sure he was worthy of it, make sure he was gonna raise them right. Or Jonah, in the belly of a whale, right? God wanted to save an entire city, not just Jonah, but he ended up accomplishing both with a whale, what seems like a bad thing. Bad things are not always bad things. There's so many more examples. If you've been reading any amount of the Bible lately, you're probably thinking of an example right now. Joseph sold into slavery, right? Not a bad thing. In the end, he ended up saving not only his family, but an entire nation. Bad things are not always bad things. Sometimes, yes, bad things happen as a result of our own selfishness. If Jonah had just listened to God in the first place, for example, he wouldn't have ended up in the whale. (laughs) But even the discipline of God is a good thing, meant to bring us back to goodness. In fact, Hebrews 12, verse seven says, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who was never disciplined by its father? It's not a kid you wanna be around, right? Spoiled rotten brats don't get disciplined. No one wants to be around that kid. Who ever heard of a child who's not disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means you are, not, you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. Bad things are painful while they're happening, but afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Freedom comes with discipline. We have to stop taking the wrong conclusions, start taking the discipline. Oh, well, God hates me. I can't do anything right. I wasn't meant for this. How dare he? Uh, maybe it's a sign that I shouldn't be here. No. So we have to start realizing that not all bad things are bad things. Start looking forward to what God is going to do. He will turn all things into good for those that love the Lord. All things. Bad things, good things, in between things. All things too good for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. We often forget that part. The Psalms weren't written in palaces. Did you know that? (laughs) The Psalms, beautiful praises and poetry to God. Most of them were written in caves while being hunted. They're born out of experience and injustice and pain. Written by people who had enough faithfulness to withstand a storm or two, a battle or two, being hunted by a king or two. Written by people who knew that God is a God who turns all things into good for those that love him. Paul and Silas in this passage, they're in pain, I'm sure. You don't sit in socks in a dungeon after being beaten and not have some pain. They've suffered an injustice and yet instead of whining about it as I would verse 25 says around midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening praying and singing hymns they were singing at midnight in the dungeons Notice what they weren't doing. They weren't bellyaching. They weren't complaining. They weren't asking, why me? They weren't just getting through, muddling, trudging through just to get through. They were singing, thriving, (laughs) praising God in the dungeon, in the stocks after being beaten. Uh, Look, midnight singing There is something so anointed about this midnight singing concept. We've lived it a couple of times. Aaron and I, when he first got diagnosed with kidney failure, and we're scared, and we're in the hospital for days on end. I think it was only like the second day we were there as we're realizing it might be a while. Aaron looked over at me, and he said, go get my guitar. (laughs) Go get my guitar. And we sat in that hospital room, and we sang but it is a different kind of singing, y'all. When you are scared and broken and beat up, it's a different, there's a different anointing that comes through that moment. Midnight singing, doesn't have to be at midnight, it's the concept. Singing at midnight comes from knowing that God has a plan. No, when we say that, we usually mean that God has a plan for us to be rich or God has a plan for us to be 100% healthy or God has a, an earthly plan for our success. When in reality, sometimes it's that God has a plan for us to be spiritually healthy and none of those other things. <laughs> Midnight singing doesn't happen unless we're in a prison, in a hospital bed, in the valley of the shadow of death, Right? There's a special anointing that comes with that because it doesn't happen when things are good. But it's what we should be doing no matter what. This is a model we should be following. Paul and Silas, even in prison, even when bad things happen to good people and it's unjust and unfair and painful, Paul and Silas were free, even in that prison. This is now how I define freedom. Freedom. We think of freedom in Christ as being happy all the time and wealthy and no. Paul and Silas had none of that. They're literally beat up in stocks. They they don't even have freedom in their bodies right at that moment. They can't move in a dungeon, locked up. They're probably the most free people in the Bible that I can think of in that moment. They're singing to their Heavenly Father. We often think of freedom as the thing that only happens when we can make all the choices that we want to and no one is telling us no. Freedom is spiritual. Freedom is mental. No one can take away your freedom to think, to worship, to thank God. Not really. They can kill you, beat you up, throw you in a prison, leave you dead in a ditch. Sure, but to live is Christ and to die is gain. If they beat us up, God will heal us. And if they kill us, we'll be with God. An evangelist well, growing up used to come here, used to say that it was a chant. If they beat us up, God will. And you all had to say, heal us. If they kill us, we'll be with God. <laughs> it's like drilled into my head at this point, but it's true to live is Christ and to die is gain. If they beat us up, God will heal us. And if they kill us, we'll be with Jesus gave us freedom. No government can do that. No leadership can do that. Jesus gave us real, true freedom. Singing is not only for expressing our joys in a day of triumph, but for the balancing and relieving of our sorrows in a day of trouble. Worship refocuses yourself on who's really in charge. It may have seemed like the jailer was in charge in that moment, or the the complainers, the business owners in the streets were in charge, or the court was in charge in that moment. Singing, praising God, worshiping him in a midnight, dark night of the soul, valley of the shadow of death setting reminds you who's actually in charge. When you're afraid, sing. When you're in doubt, sing. When you're in pain, sing. Not just any song, a midnight song, a song of faith and praise and victory. Sing to convince yourself. Sing to instruct your soul to place your faith. Don't allow your emotions to control you. You are in control. Not only does it help you, it helps the people around you, right? This may be one of the only things that separates you from the non-Christian, the non-believer. How do you react when trouble comes? Because I know, I know a lot of non-believers who act pretty well, just like we do when things are good, right? They're happy, they're generous, they're kind. But how do they react when trouble comes? a lot of depression going around in the world today. Sadness and sickness and anger, bitterness. As believers, we don't have to react that way when trouble comes because bad things are not always bad things because we have the God of heaven on our side. Who could be against us? No government, no officials, no culture can define that for us. does. We're free. The other prisoners didn't hear midnight singing when things are good. They heard it. Those particular people actually could never have heard the gospel message out in the streets where Paul and Silas were taken from because they're in prison, (laughs) right? They needed Paul and Silas in a place where no one else would go. Paul and Silas were the men for the job because they were midnight singers, They were in the dungeon. It was dungeon singing, socks singing. It was so loud, they must have awoken everyone from the dungeon. Can you imagine waking up in the jail to hear singing of all things that could not have been what they were used to hearing? I just know it. I have this sign on the wall of my house that I think of often. It says, those who wish to sing will always find a song. Those who wish to sing will always find a song. Christians, believers, should be those who wish to sing. We should be always finding a song, singing about everything. Now, I don't mean actually singing. Some of us should not be actually singing loudly. I'm just saying. Not all of us are gifted like Aaron and Tommy and Anna with voices like song words. Some of us should not be singing. We'd have people begging us not to. <laughs> Sound like a bag of cats or something. Still a joyful noise unto the Lord, but noise to everybody else. But I don't mean actually singing here. I mean, we are joyful. We are giving thanks. We are finding something to be passionate and vibrant and selfless about. Even when things are bad and it's in the dungeon, right? We're praising God. What comes out of us is worship and praise when met with crisis. Amen? In everything we give thanks. That is who the believer is meant to be. And yet, I hear believers complaining more often than anything else about our culture, about our government, about our leader, whatever. They're always complaining about everything. We're meant to be midnight singers. Because as dark as the world gets, we still have the light. And it only shines brighter in the light. Nothing can put out our light except us. We can walk away from it. Jesus is the one that put that there. He's the one that gives us the freedom. We don't have to let circumstances of this life control our attitude, we shouldn't. We don't let the trials and tribulations and storms control who we are and how we react to the world. You're really gonna let them control you, right? You're gonna let them control you. We are free from having to care about such things. Paul and Silas didn't have to care about their freedom because they knew the God that did. They didn't have to care about their mission in life being hindered because of being in the dungeon because they knew the God that did. Free from having to control everything about our environment, free from having to worry about how we're gonna get out of prison and how God's gonna work it all out. It doesn't mean you won't have to work necessarily. It doesn't mean God's gonna do all the work. We sit back and do nothing. In fact, worship is work sometimes. I don't know. Yes, I'm the pastor and I love Sundays so much, but some Sundays I come in and I'm like, I don't wanna be the pastor today. And somebody, I need a sermon. I don't wanna give one. You know what I mean? Somebody preached to me. I feel like I'm in a dungeon right now, but... When I put the work in and genuinely worship, even in those moments when I don't feel like it, God always meets me there, always, always. Because I place my authority, who I look to as my source, back in the right place. When I come in feeling like I'm down in the dumps, everything's against me, the world is just, Everything, like I feel like a victim. Worship reminds me that I am not a victim, that I am free in Christ Jesus, that Jesus played the victim. He chose to be a victim and crawl up on a tree so that I wouldn't have to. I am more than a conqueror. I am victorious in Christ Jesus. If nothing else, midnight singing is terrifying to the enemy terrifying to the enemy. What could scare the enemy more than you not being afraid of him? We don't have to be afraid of him. I've had people ask questions about demons, like, what, how much do you know? Like, what, I know they're real, they're in the Bible, but like, aren't you scared? No, they're puny little evil suckers. They're ugly and gross. No, I'm not scared of them. I, we have Jesus. If he's for us... No. (laughs) And what could possibly put them off of their mission if a dungeon and a pair of socks could not do it? The enemy had to be shaken in his boots at that point. I've done all I know how to do short of killing these guys. I've beat them, put them in a prison. The whole community is against them. They're in socks, for goodness sakes, in the dungeon. And they're singing. Why are they singing? <laughs> Doesn't that, have, wouldn't put a little fear in the heart of the enemy? So some of us say we have dungeon faith, but we're not even willing to tell our friends that we go to church, right? That's not dungeon faith. You know how you get dungeon faith? Step out with what little faith you have. It is built battle by battle, crisis by crisis, brick by brick, what little faith you have today, exercise it. Use it for something. It's built faith by faith, opportunity by opportunity. We have to see these opportunities for what they are. Midnight singing, dungeon faith, opportunities. Paul and Silas saw this as an opportunity to place their faith, to put their faith in God, to, to see him as their source and to minister to the entire jail with all they had at that point, which was their voice. I think Christians are meant to have this Tigger attitude. You know Tigger? Winnie the Pooh? Whatever they're doing, Tiggers can do that best, right? That's what Tiggers do best. So you're building a bridge. That's what Tiggers do best, right? You're, I don't know. I haven't seen Winnie the Pooh in ages, What are they doing in Winnie the Pooh? Whatever they're doing, Tigger's in, right? That's what Tiggers do best. My dad used to say that when when he couldn't sleep at night, he'd have a rough night sleeping, he would just assume he was being attacked by the enemy and prevented from getting sleep. And so instead of complaining or getting bitter about it or getting annoyed in the middle of the night, he'd just begin to pray and to worship in the middle of the night that way even if he wasn't being attacked, he was using the time well. And if he was, Satan would eventually let him go to sleep because at least then the worship would stop. <laughs> right? <laughs> He'd just give up <laughs> bothering him for the night and let him go to sleep, he's gonna worship. So <laughs> that's, the, that's the opportunity I'm talking about. Bad things are not always bad things. When bad things come, maybe we just assume this is God setting me up for a victory. Something amazing is gonna happen here. I just know it, right? Because God turns all things into good for those who love the Lord. And I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna worship even when I don't feel like it, even when I'm beat up and in prison and the valley of the shadow of death, I'm gonna worship, place my faith back in my father because that's what diggers do best. That's what believers do best. Right? That's called using an opportunity, even a bad one, for something good. Think about it. This is what God does. That's why we're meant to do this, because God does this. He turns bad things into good things. It's what he does for us. He's a redeeming God. He redeemed the worst thing that could happen on planet Earth was the most perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ, being put on a cross, betrayed by his people the people that should have believed in him as the Messiah. They beat him, nailed him to a cross, spit curses at him. The worst thing that could happen, God turned into good for every single one of us for 2,000 years afterward. I mean, this is what God does. This is the gospel. And we're meant to live it out in everyday life. By singing at midnight and in the dungeons. God, this is a quote from Albert Hubbard God will not look you over for medals or degrees or diplomas, trophies, but for scars. He's looking to see what you made of the opportunities given to you, even the bad ones. Just to prove this, let's keep reading Acts 16, verse 26. So they're singing in the dungeon, right? And suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, because wouldn't you? So he drew his sword to kill himself because the punishment coming from the Romans would have been even worse. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him, with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Suddenly there was an earthquake. Was it suddenly though? We've been talking a lot about faithfulness lately. Waiting upon the Lord. Worshiping when no no one else is worshiping. And, And even through the battles and the storms and the crises, waiting upon the Lord. A lot of suddenlies happen in the Bible. But when you really look at the attitude of the people in the story, it doesn't seem so suddenly anymore. They were worshiping God when others would have been weeping. They were making the the most of a bad situation. They were using the opportunity. They were people of worship in general whether they're in good times or bad, they're worshiping. <sighs> Suddenly, God intervenes. Suddenly, God sets them free. Suddenly, come from being people of worship. Suddenly, come from seeing not all bad things as bad things. Seeing the opportunities, even when they feel really bad and painful. <laughs> Maybe those, I think about this a lot, the environment in that prison. Maybe those other prisoners were making fun of them. It doesn't say. (laughs) Maybe they were laughing, you know, they're having a good laugh over those guys who had just gotten beaten and thrown in a dungeon and they're not even able to shut their mouths now. Like the idiots sitting in prison, they're still singing in the stocks. Don't they ever learn their lesson, right? Maybe they they were... laughing at them. I mean, how dumb do you have to be, guys? Shut up already. But then there was a suddenly. And I bet they weren't laughing anymore. Right, there there are a lot of suddenlies in the Bible where God suddenly intervenes for his people. When everything seems to be against his people, and suddenly there's an earthquake. But notice how they didn't run immediately. Paul and Silas are inside, just picture this. (laughs) They're in the stocks. they're in prison, they can't move, they can't go anywhere. And suddenly a hole appears in the wall. If it were me, I'd immediately take the earthquake as a sign that God was springing me out of this unjust situation and I would have been out, right? Immediately out the door, thank you God, out. These guys didn't run. This is what, we've been talking about this integrity thing lately, that even in the little things, you're faithful. They didn't run. Some of you right now are wondering when that earthquake will happen for you. When God will throw open the gates of your prison. When is he gonna rescue me from the situation? But are you the kind of person that wouldn't run? When given an opportunity to be out, that's kind of cheating. Would you be the kind of person that would stop your oppressor from killing himself instead of just being free? Would you look around that prison and say, maybe I'm here for another reason. Maybe this hole in the wall isn't just about me. Maybe it's about somebody. Look, look, this this is what midnight singing produces. A selfless heart, a willing attitude. They didn't take wide open doors as a sign they should run. They took wide open doors as a sign they should save the jailer. That's the level of selflessness Jesus had. That's a healthy heart, it's a healthy soul, that's a free soul. That level of selflessness I don't think most of us have. They walked out not only victorious over their oppressors, but in partnership with them. Uh, uh, Is that not the gospel? Is that not what Jesus did? Let me say it again. They were beaten even though they had done something good, but they ended up not only victorious over their oppressors, but in partnership with them. That is the gospel, turning enemies into friends, by saving those that you feel like are so far from God, being willing to be beat up and thrown in prison to save one family. That's the heart of Jesus. It's not what most of us have though. sometimes it takes a little earth shaking for the oppressors to be saved. The persecutors wanted them to stop proclaiming the gospel, but they could not be stopped. The persecutors wanted them to to be shown who's boss, right? To realize their authority, but they already knew the boss, the one in charge, right? They turned that prison into a house of prayer and the jailer's house into a church because bad things are not always bad things. Sometimes bad things are an opportunity for someone else's salvation. Are we willing to endure? to get there. That same hour, his whole household was baptized, y'all. Before the sun came up that morning, (laughs) baptized. The jailer awoke, not just from a physical sleep, but a spiritual one. Wake up, O sleeper, the Bible says. That is the call of the gospel. We are asleep spiritually. Sometimes it takes a little earth-shaking to wake up the sleepers. And so far, In this story, I've been likening us to Paul and Silas that we should be singing in the face of our oppressors in the dungeon and in the socks. But maybe in this story, we're not Paul and Silas. Maybe we're the jailer. My sin put Jesus on that cross. My sin. He willingly put himself in that situation for me. And when he had the chance to run, he didn't. He stayed for me. He took the beating for me. He overcame death for me. He put me in partnership with him, not because I deserve it, but because God is good. And I can see that now because of the things I've walked through. The beatings that I've endured, the prisons that I've been caged in, nothing the world can offer me compares to the freedom that Jesus has given me. Nothing. And if I'm the jailer, and Paul and Silas were willing to take all of that from me, knowing that, knowing what Jesus has done, that's freedom. That is being free. And it didn't come free, it came with a price, but Jesus paid that price. He paid that price. One more piece of scripture to read for you. And it shows, again, the heart of Paul and Silas, how much they understood their authority in Jesus' name. The next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave, go in peace. But Paul replied, I know, (laughs) they've publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. We're Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. Then they met with the believers and encouraged them one more, once more, then they left town. Paul knew who he was. He knew he was a citizen of Rome and a citizen in God's kingdom. That's why he could sing in prison. It's why he didn't allow the oppressors to get away with what they did. Christianity doesn't mean you have to allow yourself to be abused all of the time. You can hold people accountable when there is an injustice, but worship still refocuses you that it's not actually about them. They are not in charge. God is in charge. God sent the earthquake. God opened the doors. This is what worship does. It aligns our identity with his, prioritizes our situation with his reputation. Even in the valley, even in those midnight moments, it changes our perception before, during, and after the storm. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace in this world you will have trouble now you might have trouble you could have trouble there may be trouble you will have trouble but take heart i have overcome the world you will have trouble but take heart i have overcome the world what did we read a few weeks ago whom in I whom have I in heaven but you and earth has nothing I desire but you The disciples said back to Jesus where else will we go to whom else would we go you have the words that give life Here's what I've learned about freedom lately Bad things are not always bad things Sometimes God is testing us and setting us up for better. Sometimes God is attracting more attention to himself for his glory to be spread. And I'm just an avenue for that. We need the battles, the storms, the crises, to battle that evil in our lives, to shape who we are, to teach us who God is, to not take advantage of him in perfection, but to realize how good amazing he is. Sometimes he prioritizes spiritual health over physical health and wealth. Faith, it isn't what makes it work out in the end because God has already done that. Faith is what gets us through the middle part. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not yet seen. It's mysterious and magical and amazing. It creates It imagines, it hopes, it designs. It's the language of God because it's creating, creating life. That's what faith does, It creates because God is the creator. It aligns us with who he is. True faith does not merely resign itself to a divine plan nor trust some detached promises. Faith embraces a promising person. That person values spiritual health above everything. values freedom of the soul above freedom of the physical. Because physical health and wealth don't last for eternity. Freedom does. Spiritual health does. We must remember the promises in which Christ is clothed but not ever preach a set of clothes it is the person of Jesus that stands at the center of saving faith in the end I think this series is going to be about faith faith in the face of battles and storms enemies that cannot be overcome walls that cannot be torn down relationships that seem like they can't be restored it's faith in the face of the impossible but not faith in yourself or faith in the universe or love or even in faith itself faith in Jesus Christ the overcomer the victorious savior of our souls we are citizens in his kingdom we fight our battles as his warriors because there is nothing that can stop our God the more you can get yourself to see that and truly believe it the more free you will be the more you can stop pursuing things that are dead ends, the, the physical wealth, the, the entertaining yourself to get by. The, we do all kinds of things that we think are gonna make us free end up making us much more entangled, even religious things. Jesus set us free. He set us free from all of that. The amazing thing about Jesus is that when you go through crises, sometimes he says, lay down, sleep, rest. Sometimes he says, get up and get to work. What are you doing? And sometimes he says, lean on me. Let me shoulder this burden. And sometimes he says, go shoulder the burden for somebody else. That is having a relationship with Christ because religion puts a one size fits all over everything. As you always do this in this situation, but Jesus is a person. Right? You can have a relationship with him. He speaks back when you ask him a question. He's a living, breathing, speaking God. He wants to speak to you today. Some of us need convicted. We need shown where we're pursuing the wrong things, freedom in all the wrong areas. Some of us just need inspired to go out of here singing a midnight song. I to, instead of coming in complaining and head down and victim mentality in the presence of God to start looking up, realizing just how amazing and good he is. Father, we, we bow our heads today. We begin to look inward. Some of us are pursuing freedom in all the wrong areas. We, we think sinful things, will make us free. If we cheat a little here, if we take a little there, if we lie a little here, steal a little there, that, that, that will make us free eventually in the end. But we're pursuing all of the wrong things that actually make us more entangled. Jesus, show us those things. Shed a light in our souls on where we're pursuing the wrong things. Let us see you. Let us see the love and the light of Jesus Christ and pursue that only, even when it's harder. Oh, if that's you today, I wasn't planning to do this, but I feel just a little conviction in the room today. If that's you and you just need a moment to just raise your hand and sort of just between you and God say, that's me, I, I need to repent. God, I'm sorry, I've been pursuing the wrong thing. If that's you, would you just raise your hand in the room? Just between you and God, I've been looking at the wrong things. I'm going to change. Okay, you can put those down. And maybe today you're saying, I need to go out of here singing a new song. I need some midnight singing, some dungeon faith. I'm in a, I feel like I'm in a ditch right now. I'm in a dungeon. I'm in a hospital bed. I may not be physically in those things, but I feel like I am. My soul feels burdened and heavy so many things I'm worried about right now. It might be financial or health or relationship-wise. But today I'm gonna sing a new song. I'm gonna realign myself with God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth, the provider, the deliverer, the comforter, the healer. I'm gonna leave here singing worship and praises to heaven. Realign myself with who he is. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? That's me awesome you can put those down and one more today with heads bowed and eyes so closed if you've never given your heart to jesus do you want that freedom that he gives today freedom from sin shame pain the spiritual pain that comes with pursuing all of the wrong things if you want freedom from that Jesus gave it already on the cross 2,000 years ago. He paid the price that sin creates and he wants you free. He wants you free. All you have, he made it so easy that all you have to do is say, Jesus, I believe in you. Just like the jailer in the story, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And I wanna live my life your way, the free way. If that's you, would you just raise your hand if you're in the room today? I want Jesus, I'm in, into following him. I wanna be set free. If you're watching online, you can text the number on the screen or go to type I'm in in the comments. Go to fe.church slash I am in. We'd love to help you with that. Father, we thank you and we praise you for every single hand raised today. Thank you for setting us free, for showing us true freedom. Deliver us from the bonds of sin, things that happen in this world, the things that we get worried about, we get worked up about. God, deliver us, set us free, give us deep peace, peace that passes all understanding, joy unspeakable. That we would walk out of here feeling lighter today, even though none of our circumstances have changed. We set our attitude, our hopes on heaven. Our perception changed. God, you are in control. You are our provider, our deliverer, our comforter, our healer, our source of all good things. We trust you. We sing to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fe.church/imn. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.